the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, joining us today in studio, a very special guest. He is lead pastor of Vineyard Christian Church, located on the Mid-Peninsula in San Carlos. He's Pastor Duke Tabor. And Pastor Tabor, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. And I guess we should say uh, happy anniversary to you. I understand you've just uh, recently celebrated three years as senior pastor at Vineyard Fellowship on the Peninsula. So congratulations and welcome, a bit belated, to the San Francisco Bay Area. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, It's great to be here and great to be on the program. Uh, yeah, three years. It's gone fast. Uh, it's been just a, you know, we got a great group of people and it's been enjoyable. It hasn't been painful. What have you found different about pastoring in the Bay Area? And I asked that question as we'll learn your story today. Um, you originally have your roots in the Pacific Northwest, just outside of the City of the Roses, Portland, Oregon. You spent some time pastoring uh, I guess we should call it a ghost town. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Out in Lincoln County, part of Nevada. Where is that even near? Anything that folks would know? Stone <laughs> Not really. From... It's 100 miles south of Ely and 175, or 170 miles north of Vegas. All right. So I guess the, the Vegas reference would, would at least give us a little sense. But yeah. technically, it's on the really eastern a, side. A teeny tiny small town. And, of course, uh, both, I think, um, huge contrasts. From yes. pastoring in a major metropolitan area that is uh, not only in the cutting edge in terms of technology and, of course, uh, perhaps the makeup of the Bay Area uh, looks like any mission field anywhere on planet Earth all melded into one. <laughs> yeah, well, Pioch was uh, had a population of 750. Salute! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was primarily a, a Mormon community. Uh, with a couple evangelical churches, and yeah, it was it was quite different. But uh, and I've primarily ministered in flyover country. Uh, spent most of time both in Pioch and in Ely, and then in a little town called Pine Haven, Wyoming. And uh, those are places that people forget about, and it's quite different than the Bay Area, both uh, demographically and. Politically, and uh, their worldview is just totally different. So it's been interesting. It's been an adjustment, but it's been good. Do you get the sense that you're literally sort of on the front lines of the battlefield in terms of the kind of missionary work that needs to be done in an area like this that um, I, I guess largely because of our success economically as well as sort of the California mindset. We're, we're, we're kind of different animals out here in the Bay Area from, from most parts of the flyover country, as you call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. Um, oh, it's hard, to, you know, it's hard to digest it into one little paragraph, but uh, the culture of the Bay Area has a worldview that... Well, I I just call it politically correct. And in that, they look at everything from just a 
a natural perspective of the five senses, and they look at it from a perspective of we are on the cutting edge. We a little bit of pridefulness of, you know, we have it together versus what I see as a biblical worldview is that, yes, we understand that there's five senses, but we also understand that there is something beyond the five senses that is supernatural in nature and not just natural. And we also understand that the scriptures is where we base our culture, not just what we have experienced around us. So as a worldview, uh, there is a change and a transformation that has to happen. And it doesn't happen or it, it doesn't come naturally to those in the Bay Area. And we are having to show them that there is more. Well, perhaps it may be true that most people don't recognize the spiritual dynamic. Do you think that nevertheless there are ways and fashions in which they're seeking to try and fulfill that spiritual hunger in their life, that, that, that God-shaped hole, so to speak? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're, we are all created with a God-shaped hole, and we will fill it with whatever we can figure out to fill it with. And for some, it may be uh, technology and diversion and gaming and those types of things. For other, it might be uh, drugs, alcohol. For others, it might be relationships, uh, including those that are harmful relationships. Uh, but they all try to fill it. And in all honesty, they all have gods. Just look at their checkbook. You'll figure out what their god is. Very true. They say if you want to get to a, a, a peek into the man's soul, just peek into his checkbook. And That's right. You a lot. That's right. What about yourself in, in terms of your own life experience coming to find fulfillment in, in, in meeting that hunger that maybe early on you didn't recognize was, was your spirit longing for a relationship with the Creator? Eventually, of course, that came to fruition. Tell us a bit about your, your journey. How did that all begin? Well, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, which has a lot of the same type of culture uh, in the Portland area as the Bay Area does. And I grew up, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And that's where you looked for uh, your fulfillment. Uh, I was involved in music. I was a bass player, uh, singer. I, uh, and this was in early years in high school. Uh, and... You know, I was searching for it. I, In fact, I remember giving a speech on astrology and speech class and, you know, was reading books on how to astral, do astral projection and those types of things. And so I was seeking, not even realizing I was seeking, because out of one side of my mouth I was looking for all these things, and out of the other side of my mouth I said, there's no God. And so... Um, for me, my experience happened. It was, I guess it's unique. I don't know. I It was unique to me. Is uh, I met a Christian girl who broke the rules. Uh, she said she would go out with me if I go to church with her. <laughs> missionary dating. <laughs> That's right. Missionary dating. And I, I'd been to church. Uh, I was, uh, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I was sprinkled as a Presbyterian as a baby, and I went to church with my grandparents, and they gave me uh, uh, peppermint lifesavers to keep me quiet while I was sitting there in the pews. 
And uh, as a uh, in junior high, I went and I was confirmed as a Methodist. Uh, went through their confirmation class, but I had no spiritual experience. This was just knocked around religion, but not relationship. Yeah, exactly. And so I thought I can handle this God thing. I'll go to church with her, and you know we'll start dating. And so I went to church with her, and it wasn't like church that I had ever experienced before. And it wasn't that I remember anything about it was a youth group, and I didn't remember anything about the message the youth pastor gave. The only thing I remembered is that they prayed like somebody was listening on the other end. Mm. It wasn't these prayers that I'd been to church and they prayed these lofty prayers that, you know, they're trying to impress one another, not God. I mean, you know, oh, thou art heavenly father who thus. It's like, you know, who are you trying to uh, impress here? But that wasn't the type of prayers I heard there. They said, Jesus, come, speak to our hearts. Lord, we have these needs. We ask that you would take care of them. And that bugged me. I mean, that just really bugged me because, like, is there someone on the other end? And I'd never seen that. So I went home, couldn't sleep, wrestled with everything. I was, I was, uh, uh, I was a kid who uh, parents had divorced. My mom had remarried. My stepfather was problematic at best, and I was a mess. I was. Uh, binge drinking on the weekends, smoking dope. You know, I'd done acid. I'd, I'd done all the drugs, and I was a mess. And so I, my sinner's prayer was simply, God, if you're really there, do something with me. And at that point, my life was changed. If you've joined our conversation a bit late, today in studio with the lead pastor of Vineyard Church Mid-Peninsula, located in San Carlos, he's Pastor Duke Tabor. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to more conversation today with Pastor Duke Tabor. He is lead pastor of Vineyard Church, located on the peninsula in San Carlos. And let's pick up the story. Uh, you were sharing a bit of your conversion experience prior to the break, Pastor Tabor. And, and one of the details that you've talked with me about is the struggle that you dealt with concerning uh, your relationship with your dad. Mm-hmm. And your conversion experience juxtaposed to his conversion experience, or more aptly put, the question in your mind of whether or not it happened. I think a lot of believers, whether we come to Christ late in life and then witness to our parents, um, or perhaps uh, never have an opportunity to witness to our parents because we come to the Lord much even later in life and there's that question of will I see my parent will they be in heaven again how did you work through that struggle and how did that question affect you well it's there's it's a long process um my dad was raised in a presbyterian home uh my grandparents were presbyterians my grandfather was uh 
elder in his church. And so my dad was raised in a Christian home, but my dad went through some experiences that turned him on a different direction. And I, at even talking to my mom and talking to others, I don't understand all of his path. But I know that at one point he was trying to be very faithful and do the right thing, Christian thing, when I was very young. But he had a, an experience where he was, uh, he suffered a gunshot wound and it went up through his leg and into his hip. And the bullet tore his, the primary nerve in his leg. And so he was, they had given him morphine in the hospital. And he was one of those people that once he had experienced that drug, he was easily addicted. And so he went through a process where when he came home, he was a changed person and uh, started down a path of drug addiction and other uh, behavior that, uh, well, it just wasn't healthy. And so by the time I was 12, uh, my parents got divorced. So fast forward to shortly after my conversion, I was converted the end of age 16, November 18th, 1979. And I, in March of 1981, I was at school. I go to school early and hang out with my friends and we were in the library and we were yucking it up. And I was being judgmental up towards my father and was yucking it up about how bad of a sinner he was. Well, I go to first period band class and my band teacher says, Duke, they want you down in the office. Now, my first thought is, oh, brother, what did I do now? <laughs> you know, I, I'd been to the office before, but not recently, but enough memories to know that's usually not a good thing. So I go down to the office and the lady says, Duke, your mother says you need to come home now. Now, what's up? She said, I can't tell you anymore. Just go home. So I hopped in my car and headed home. It was a couple-mile trip. And I pull up. And my grandparents' car is in the driveway. And I walk into the house. And my mom grabs me and hugs me and says, Duke, your dad is gone. And I'm sorry, it's, but it changed my relationship with God for quite a while. Because the guilt of not more than 20 minutes earlier, having been bad-mouthing my father, and then him being God. It drove me to prove that I wasn't bad. It drove me to prove to my Heavenly Father that 
I was worth saving or having been saved. Uh, And so for years I had a performance mentality of I have to prove to my Heavenly Father who I was now juxtapositioning my real dad with my Heavenly Father and having to prove that I wasn't a bad kid to him. And I don't even know if that makes sense. But you you always you seem to always try to make our heavenly father into our earthly father's image. And I, the last thing I'd ever done was something that wasn't cool. And I think a lot of people have been down that unfortunate path that the last conversation didn't end well, that yes. there was a big fight. Yes. And then a telephone call, or there was a long period of separation. Yes. And then a telephone call. And suddenly now those waves of regret, self-loathing, tremendous guilt, complicated by the question of, my goodness, our last interaction was this horrible knockdown, drag-out fight. We swore never to speak to each other again, whatever. And now further complicated by the lingering question of, you know, there was always a question about whether or not mom was saved or exactly. that dad had rejected the gospel at some point. Yeah. And could I have been contributory in some fashion, unwittingly, toward driving yeah. that parent away from the Lord and is God going to judge me for it? Or just the lingering question of, now that mom, dad is gone, will I see them again? Mm-hmm. How, how do we in our own mind look at the promises of Scripture, understand that we serve a graceful God, but also a righteous and holy God, and the lingering question of, well, what is the ultimate spiritual fate Mm-hmm. of these people of whom I am flesh of their flesh, blood of their blood. And I think for a lot of believers, they they walk around underneath a, a cloud mm-hmm. of doubt and questioning. Yeah, they do. Uh, I know I had witnessed to my dad. I had spent, we'd had a conversation. He rejected what I was saying, but we had had a conversation. I had to work through it, that that question. And I'm not sure that there's a satisfactory answer. But the answer that I worked through was, will not the God of the universe do what is right? And leave it at that. There's always that Romans 1 of God showing himself. Mm-hmm. To each and every one, revealing himself to each and every one. Yep. Maybe it's not a conversion experience like our conversion experience. Maybe it didn't happen the way our theology says and prescribes that it should have happened. And yet I guess we have to then realize that ultimately God is still in control. Yep. 
that his word where he says that we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, applies to everyone, mm-hmm. not just ourselves. And the Holy Spirit knows. Well, that's the thing, because I, I do not know, and I don't have a satisfactory answer, but I know that he was presented with the gospel. I know that he grew up in a Christian family. So do what I don't know is if he ever asked the Lord to forgive him. And so at this point, the, my only answer is, will not the God of the universe do what is right? And so, and coming from a Pentecostal background versus, say, a Reformed background, for a long time, my thought was, well, he was, he died in his sins. So he must have went to hell. But through some other experiences in my life, I moved much, much, well, not I slid from that Arminian mm-hmm. theology. Okay, the Arminian slide into Calvinism. Yeah, that Arminian <laughs> slide into Calvinism. I'm not a full Calvinist. I'm a, I call myself a TB Cal- Calvinist. I believe in total depravity and perseverance <laughs> of the saints. I think the other three are problematic. But if he was, if he did, then nobody could, t- could have taken him out of the Lord's hands. And if he didn't, at the last moment, you have no idea that yeah. conversation that he had in his spirit yes. with the Holy Spirit. That's right. Does this ultimately then, Pastor Tabor, become a f- part of the faith walk in yes. simply trusting, saying, God, I don't know, but you know, yeah. and you've got the entirety of the universe, yeah. including my parents' fate, yes. in your hands, exactly. and therefore, knowing nothing, yes. yet do I trust yes. you. Exactly. And one nice thing, and this probably didn't read this, uh, is that when I planted my first church in Gresham, Oregon, my mom, who uh, uh, decided she was going to come to church to support her son, but hadn't been to church for over 20 years, uh, she came, and for the first six months, you know, I was faithful, given altical almost every Sunday, you know, if you need Jesus, come on down. And... About six months into it, I, you know, I said, if you need Jesus, raise your hand. And my mom raised her hand. Wow. And so I was privileged to lead my mom to the Lord. If you've joined us late today in the conversation, a visit with Pastor Duke Tabor. He's lead pastor at Vineyard Church, Mid-Peninsula, located in San Carlos. More information, by the way, about the ministry, available on the web at GodShack.com. That's GodShack.com. And we'll tell you a bit more about the church coming up later on in our conversation. A brief time out. Back with more right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. Our conversation today with Pastor Duke Tabor, lead pastor of Vineyard Church on the peninsula in San Carlos, sharing a bit of his story and uh, uh, the amazing challenge that I think um, all of us look at and say, you know, we have questions about the, the spiritual disposition of certain people in our lives. Whatever happened to my first girlfriend, my parent, my brother who passed away years ago, whatever the case might be. And, and as you were articulating prior to the break, that was a question in relationship to your father that you struggled with for a very long period of time, 
for people eavesdropping on us today that are in that place right now, what kind of advice would you offer them? That, well, the first thing is, is you, I would recommend, in fact, I'm going to recommend a book, a book by uh, Ed McGlasson, Edward T. McGlasson, a friend of mine, and it's The Father I Never Knew. And my advice to you is, if you've lost a loved one, especially a father, you need to come to an understanding that our Heavenly Father is not the uh, personification of our earthly father. That our earthly fathers are flawed, but our heavenly father deeply loves us, deeply cares for us, and has a hope and a future for us. And so if you can take off your glasses that are tinted with the experience you had with your earthly father and see clearly our heavenly father, it will help you then work through uh, their disposition, what what's happened with them, because uh, we are we are such flawed human beings that when we look at where their eternal destiny is, our perspective jades what it really is, and not only in terms of the perspective on how we see them, but then, too, this can serve as a stumbling block for people who say, it's hard for me to think of God as Heavenly Father Mm -hmm. or Abba Father. Yes. When I think of the way my father treated me, we we allow that that earthly viewpoint of how we see Father Mm -hmm. to interfere with the relationship that our Father in Heaven wants to have with us. Oh, exactly. I viewed for a long time, because my earthly father was a severe disciplinarian, and that doesn't mean I don't agree with discipline, but he was a severe disciplinarian. I viewed my Heavenly Father's perspective towards us as severely disciplinarian. God is up there in Heaven with a big stick just waiting for Duke to get out of line so he can smack him one. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, if you get out, if you get beyond the way of holiness, whack. And, you know, we all know ourselves well enough to know we're not really all that holy. Do do a lot of people struggle in your pastoral experience with the extremes of that, meaning on either one side we see the totality of God's righteousness and holiness, that he is a jealous God, that he is a God that um, demands of us a certain level of perfection, so to speak. And then on the other side of the continuum, a God of grace and tender mercies and compassion. Do you find that sometimes people are on either one extreme or the other, and there's a lack of balance? Uh, I find, and it may be because of the type of ministry I have, but I find primarily most of them are on the severe extreme Mm -hmm. side, and very few understand the grace and mercy side. And how ironic that is, because in one sense, you can't understand God's grace— 
unless you understand God's holiness. judgment yes. and his holiness yes. and vice versa. So there is a component that's missing there of our understanding of God no matter where you fall on that continuum. Yeah, yeah there is. Uh, I am not one that says uh, God, God lets – how do I put this? Because I don't want to give the wrong impression. Um, I'm not one that says that God doesn't care about how we live. But I am one that would side on – some people would use it in a derogatory term – but would cite on greasy grace. And there's a reason for that. Because if God is not gracious and merciful, none of us will slide by. You know, people say greasy grace, everything slides by. Well, if there is not grace, call it what you will, none of us will get by. Because if we break one part of the law, we have broken it all. Well, and it's interesting. Paul talked about the necessity. I mean, Paul, of all people, yes. who following his experience on the road to Damascus, I would say was pretty well plugged in, considering the fact that he was responsible for writing better than half the New Testament. And yet even Paul himself talked about the necessity to die daily to the flesh, Yes, which tells me even in his experience in a direct encounter with Jesus— um, he needed a lot of God's grace. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at his life, there were times when he was pretty hot-headed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Even, he dealt, not just as Saul, but even as Paul. <laughs> yes, even as Paul. Yeah, he was hot-headed. So he definitely, he needed grace daily. And But I want to also give the other side of it. It's not that God condones our failure, our sin. It's that he breaks his heart. You see, it's not about performing. It's about loving. And so our heavenly, when you come to understand his grace and his mercy and his love, you come to understand his heart, and all of a sudden you don't want to break that heart because you love him. And as a parent, I'm not looking for my kids to perform. But, man, it does my heart good when I see him succeed. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with our Heavenly Father. And at the same token, I've see, my kids have seen it in me at times when they've come to me and tell me things that I don't want to hear, that I don't want to see. And they see the look on my face, and they know they've broken my heart. So. The experience for a lot of us, hearkening uh, back to your comments regarding the way you saw your dad, your relationship with him, and then that that image that kind of influenced the way you saw your heavenly father. A, A lot of us then, too, I think, struggle with the notion of being able to not only understand, but to embrace the totality of God's grace, because it goes beyond our earthly understanding. If God is as righteous and perfect and holy as you say he is, how can he possibly go as far as to sacrifice his only son in order for us to be able to experience forgiveness because God so desperately wants to walk in relationship and fellowship with his creation. And and there's a degree to which I think we never, in spite of the years of study and prayer, and you can go to the best Bible college 10 times over and read the word 200 times a day. I don't believe that we'll ever fully on this side be able to embrace and comprehend the totality and the depth 
of not just God's righteousness, but God's grace yeah. shown toward mankind. Yeah, absolutely. In my life, that performance mentality went all the way up until the year 2000. Uh, in the year 2000, and I knew it was coming prior to this, but in the year 2000, my family went through divorce. And, you know, I was already in ministry. I had already planted uh, two churches and resurrected a third and was a successful church planter. I was a church planting coach for the Foursquare denomination. And all of a sudden, my whole identity, who I people thought I was, who everything that went on, all of a sudden, all that got destroyed and went through divorce. And in my book, Preachers don't get divorced. If you are going to be divorced, if you're if you suffer divorce, you're done. If you suffered divorce, you know you've you've blown it. You did not perform, and yet that's what happened. I was angry at God. I was angry at everybody. <laughs> angry at myself. Uh, the whole bit, and. So for a year and a half, you know, I basically told Jesus to take a long walk on a short pier. Forgot he walked on water. It didn't bother him. <laughs> and, uh, but he didn't give up on me. Let's pause on that point. I want okay. to come back after a brief time out. Pastor Duke Tabor with us today in the studio from Vineyard Church on the peninsula in San Carlos. A brief time out. Back with more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're visiting today in studio with Pastor Duke Tabor, senior pastor at Vineyard Church on the peninsula in San Carlos. You mentioned before the break a revelation that most pastors don't want to admit, even if it's happened. Not only the sense of having gone through a divorce, the other utter sense of failure to one's spouse, one's self, one's church, mm-hmm. one's God. You talked about your entire identity being destroyed. And from a ministry standpoint, having invested your entire adult life in church pastoring, church planting, church ministry, did you get a sense, at least in the moment, that your legitimacy was destroyed as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Not just from within, but also from without. I mean, I was already pointing the fingers at myself along with everything else and pointing the fingers at God. But then, you know, I'll just be very blunt with you. I lost every every friend except three during that time. You know, what's amazing about this is where this is now getting into the church's dirty little secret. Yeah. And there are many people listening right now with their hands covering their mouth, looking at their radio in shock that we're having a conversation about this on a Christian radio station. And yet, ironically, the divorce rate inside the church, and I'm not just saying big C church, I'm right. talking about even within evangelical Christianity, the divorce yep. rate is as high as it is in the so-called, quote-unquote, secular world. Yep. 
we have a problem with this issue, and maybe the bigger problem at hand here is the fact that we don't know how to deal with this. We don't. Someone goes through divorce, we run and hide, as you explain, your friends disappearing, yeah. or we just say, I don't know, we think we've suddenly uncovered the unpardonable sin, and so we're going to banish you to either the back pew or out of the church altogether, because suddenly... God's grace doesn't extend that far, and yet, ironically, we're talking about one out of every two families in every church pew in every church in America today. It's a pretty big aspect of Christendom to which we wish to, out of hand, completely dismiss. Yeah. Well, for me, it was – everybody's familiar with uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel. For me, it was like I had a scarlet D placed right on my forehead. And everywhere I went, I thought for sure everybody was judging me, delegitimizing me. Uh, There was no way I'd ever be able to enter back into ministry or anything else. Instead, you know, my life was over. I was going to have to just do this mundane stuff. Find a secular career. Secular career, and it ended up being driving truck and uh, not have a calling anymore. And uh, it was extremely painful. And I, it, I, I'm going to tell you right now, if you think people uh, choose to get divorced for an easy way out, you're fooling yourself. Divorce is one of the most painful, destructive, nasty things that a person can go through. I wouldn't worship. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's horrible. Divorce makes you poor uh, emotionally, spiritually, and. F- Physically and financially. I mean, it just destroys your entire life. So to think or cavalierly say, well, you're you're somehow just trying to get away with something, that's nonsense. Where's the irony here in so much as we will establish recovery programs for the person who struggled with substance abuse, alcoholism, sexual addictions, uh, the individual who has had a criminal background, who, uh, you know, maybe committed a white-collar crime, came to Christ in prison, came out, now leads a huge prison ministry, completely legitimate within the eyes of the church. It seems as if every single topic in this arena, in terms of um, God's ability through his grace and the work of Christ on the cross to reach down forgive and restore is fully evident, save the arena of divorce. Exactly. And the irony is that some folks, I think, forget not only is it not the easy way out, but there's also the perspective here that it's far more complicated because if you're struggling with substance abuse, that's about you, your choices, what you are doing to yourself. Dealing with a broken relationship is about you and your spouse. It's about you and your children. Uh, It gets to be very complicated very quickly because it's all about a broken relationship. And here's the other irony. Of the one thing 
that God is all about. It's about restoration for the sake of relationship. It is. Of course, in the context of the gospel, it's restoration, healing, and forgiveness for mankind to be reconciled, to have relationship between God and mankind, the creator and creation. And yet we don't seem to believe as if the totality and the efficiency of the gospel is capable to reach down and deal with this issue of divorce. Why? Well, it comes back to that performance mentality. Hmm. You see, when you deal with divorce, it's ugly, it's messy. And it's it's very public. And it's very public, and it's not performing up to the standard. And so if we have a performance mentality and somebody all of a sudden messes that picture up that we're trying to portray, well, then it's easier to get rid of them than it is to deal with. Is there also perhaps a a misconception here that somehow if we talk about it, we legitimize it, and therefore people are going to feel more at ease doing it? And I ask that question because if you look at the divorce rate in America today, if anything, even with the attitude within the church, it remains just as high. So it seems to me pretending as if if we don't talk about this, it'll go away, has not been working. No, it doesn't work. And... In fact, it it makes I believe it makes it worse. Does it work to drive people away from the church and away from the very place where they could find wholeness and, and wholeness? It is. Mm. If it, it's like uh, the family who ignores or covers for the alcoholic, if they can just make it look pretty on the outside, it means it's not happening. Well, that's. That's wrong, and the alcoholic never gets help. If we would talk about it, if we would talk about stress in relationships, if we would talk about the temptations for infidelity, if we would talk about uh, finances within the marriage and how decisions are made and those types of things, we would be much better off. Does this weakness, Pastor, not only bring about much pain and consternation inside the church, but does it also represent a failure for the church on the outside? And by that I mean, imagine how different the world would be in its attitude toward the church if it said, wow, you know, I've gone through this terrible experience called divorce. Look at what they're doing over there. That church is embracing people, welcoming them with open arms, providing counseling, ministry, not to say, hey, we're elevating divorce and we're going to legitimize it and make it feel as if it's no big deal, but rather to say things happen, painful things happen, but none of this is beyond God's capability of healing, restoration, and bringing about wholeness. I just wonder if if attitudes in terms of the impact of the power of the church would be different from the viewpoint of the outside world if we had our act on this topic better together on the inside of the church. Well, that was my experience. I had, I was, like I had shared earlier, I was angry with the Lord for a year and a half. I was driving truck in a little, from a little, uh, well, I was living in a little town called Carlin, Nevada. It's near Elko. And I was driving five days a week from Carlin, Nevada to Salt Lake City and back. And I was just messed up. I was, 
I couldn't reconcile my performance mentality with my relationship with the Lord. I didn't want to talk to him. I, you know, leave me alone. I'm done. I'm mad. And God sent a Southern Baptist pastor to speak wholeness and reconciliation to a Pentecostal preacher. Mm. Uh, the pastor of Carlin First Baptist Church in Carlin, Nevada. He it, he spoke it to me. He said, uh, well, you know your life's not over. You know God has a hope and a future for you, right? No. He said, well, God sent me to tell you that he's not done with you and that there is wholeness and there is forgiveness and there is health that can be had again. And that man and his church, little First Baptist Church, nursed me back to wholeness. And he got me in touch with divorce care, which uh, if there's anybody listening, uh, go to divorcecare.org, and you can get the materials and you can find a group where you can start your path to heal back up from divorce. And they started healing me back up. And that was when my transformation started going from Arminianism to Calvinism. Mm -hmm. We're going to pause. We'll come back with some closing comments from Pastor Duke Tabor right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Today visiting in studio with Pastor Duke Tabor, lead pastor of Vineyard Church, located on the peninsula in San Carlos. And we've been through some amazing parts of your story here today, from um, your own salvation experience, your conversion experience, to what it meant struggling with questions about your relationship with your earthly dad, his relationship with God, eventually working through the pain of your own divorce. Yes. Bring us up to speed now. Um, the ways in which this has changed you, not only in terms of the way you view God, but also in terms of your relationship with God. How have these experiences changed you personally? Oh, it's night and day. Um, There was always this idea that I needed to somehow figure out how to be God's man of power for the hour. You know, that I had to be the man of God at the pulpit and, yeah. And now I'm just I'm just a fat man trying to get to heaven. I'm just a guy who has a talent and is using it. Uh I want to get to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm not that's not in doubt. But I want to arrive there with at least a few treasures to be able to lay at my Savior's feet. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I'm there's nothing special about me, so you know the way I lead, the way I uh, am in with my wife today, uh, the way that uh, I walk through life, just knowing He's going to work it out, that there's a hope in the future. It just has changed. Is this the crux of the message that you share of hope from the pulpit as well? Oh, absolutely. It, you know, our church. When I I got there and we started rebuilding. And the first thing I started, the foundation I started laying is is that we're going to be a church uh, that loves, accepts, forgives, and empowers people. And 
no matter where they come from, no matter what their background, we serve a transformational God that will transform their life. And so that's that's the message in a nutshell. And we can't do it by trying to to be the big big church show. We do it by just being who God has created us and relating with other people in a non-hype, non-showy way to just meet them where they're at and let God do the work because he's the one that does it. I can't do anything. Authentic Christianity that says, as Paul said, you know, work out my salvation in terms of understanding this road upon which we travel yes. in walking in fellowship with very God himself through the work that he did on the cross and the the means by which God has provided that we might be forgiven and reconciled to enjoy relationship. Absolutely. It's it's a community that's being built and it's a I think it's a, an authentic expression and there's other authentic expressions that look very different than ours. But it's an authentic expression of Christianity that I I personally believe we're filling a niche that is not being filled within the Bay Area. Fair to say it's not about show, but rather about genuine spirituality? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, honestly, I can't pull off being the next Billy Graham or the next Franklin Graham or the next uh, – Andy Stanley. I can't pull it off. I don't want to pull it off. I'm not them. Uh, Our worship leader can't be the next Bethel or the next, uh, you know, uh, Brian Hillsong Hillsong or whatever. I mean, uh, he's 10 years older than me and has more gray hair. And, you know, he would look very funny in skinny jeans. (laughs) So we can't do it. But what we can do is be authentic. We can be real, and we can just be a community of believers who loves Jesus. Tell us about the ministry taking place there. We mentioned that you're located on the peninsula in San Carlos. You meet at 1566 Arroyo Avenue in San Carlos. Tell us a bit about service times and what people can come to expect. Uh, you can expect that it will be pretty low-key, uh, informal. Uh, you, you can expect that people will love you. That people will accept you, uh, even if you look different than us. Uh, that's part of what we do. Uh, you can expect people who sing and worship and focus on Jesus. You can expect that uh, if you need prayer, you you can find somebody to pray with because we pray with people every Sunday. Uh, you can expect that I will, or one of my teaching team will give you a message and give you an opportunity to uh, ask questions and uh, learn and understand what the Bible says. We could really, honestly, we really care less how many scriptures you got memorized. We want to know how how well you understand what you've learned, uh, because then you can apply it to your own life. So there's lots of things we have a Sunday school class, which is really weird for a vineyard, but we have a Sunday school class at 9 o'clock. Uh, and it's, right now, I think there's about 12 people that are going to it, but it's working very well, and they're enjoying it. Uh, we then have our normal service at 10 o'clock, and 
then we hang out afterwards and fellowship and drink coffee and eat donuts and whatever. And, you know, usually by about 1230, I'm having to turn off the lights and shoo them away. <laughs> so uh, it's a good place to be. It's a place where you can build a community, you know, get involved in a community that loves Jesus. Have that little bit of that experience of iron sharpening iron. Iron sharpening iron. And we got all kinds of people from all different backgrounds, from Catholics to Pentecostals. And we get along. And the church, again, meeting at 1566 Arroyo Avenue on the peninsula in San Carlos. Again, the uh, Sunday school class uh, yes. called the Vineyard Cafe at 9 a.m. Sunday service followed at 10 a.m. And if you want to get complete information, including directions, you can simply go online to godshack.com. That's godshack.com. I love the name of the URL. <laughs> That's great stuff. Well, Pastor Duke Tabor, we certainly appreciate you coming by today, sharing not just a bit oh, about the ministry, but as well sharing from your heart. My privilege. It was an honor. Pastor Duke Tabor, again, lead pastor at Vineyard Church, Mid-Peninsula in San Carlos. More information available on the web at godshack.com. That's godshack.com. Our conversation with Pastor Duke, by the way, will be reprised coming up tomorrow at 5 p.m. right here on KFAX. And then a complete Sunday message as part of the Church of the Week, Sunday at 12 noon. Complete information, by the way, regarding those broadcasts available at the KFAX website. Simply go to kfax.com. That's kfax.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.